Bonjour tout le monde. We are so glad that you are here today. And uh, man, this has been an amazing spring. They talked about how cold it's been. And, but I tell you what, it's been heating up in here as God has been doing some amazing, amazing things in our midst. In fact, even last week, I was just asking about one of the, the testimonies that I heard from last Sunday at the end of the service, you know, every Sunday we have our prayer team down here and people come and receive prayer for any number of things that they might be asking God for in their lives. And, and uh, one of the stories from last week was just so cool. And it's not rare, we're seeing this happen so often, but, uh, but a lady came and, and has been having problems in her back and her hip and, and uh, she said that it's been uh, just hot and in and, and agony and... Uh, and they prayed and anointed her with oil last Sunday, and she said that she could feel the healing touch of the Holy Spirit, and that which was hot and in pain started to feel good and like a cool, fresh water, a stream of living waters. And, uh, and what's beautiful is not only can God do that to your body, he wants to do it for your soul. Amen. Amen. So, voici la question. Êtes-vous prêt? Are you ready? Here we go. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Okay. Uh, if you want to grab a Bible or you can look this up on your phone, we are in Galatians chapter 6. Our small group discussion guides this week are going to take us through the whole first half of this chapter. But today, we're only going to look at two verses. I'll let you guess which ones while you're finding that. Galatians chapter 6, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes while you are finding it. Uh, in the last 200 years, the population of the world has exploded. And according to National Geographic, back in 1800, there were 1 billion people on this planet. In 1930, over a period of the next 130 years, that doubled to 2 billion. But then watch how quickly the ball starts rolling and growing. Then in the next 30 years, it increased to 3 billion. Then in the next 14 years, in 1974, 4 billion. In 1987, 5 billion. In 1999, 6 billion. And today, it is estimated that the population of the world is 7.7 .7 billion people. The world is larger than it has ever been before. But here's what's crazy. I want you to think about this. Even though the world is bigger than it has ever been before, it is also smaller than it has ever been before. See, through technology, we can access information about what is happening at every moment in every place around the world at any time. In fact, think about this statement. We have access to more information now in one day than previous generations had access to in a lifetime. You carry access to that information in a little phone that you stick in your purse or carry in your pocket. And on that one device, you can access more information if you search for it in one day than people had access to in a lifetime in previous generations. That is overwhelming when you think about it. 
What do you do with all this information? On this little phone, you can access uh, news stories and video of every natural disaster, of every tornado, every earthquake or hurricane or flood as soon as it happens, racial violence, political fraud, police brutality, terrorism, addiction, abortion, the deficit, suffering children. There are 153 million children right now worldwide who have lost their parents. Sex trafficking, over 21 million people today live as slaves. Six to eight million people die each year from water-related illness. 783 million people do not have access to clean water. Two billion do not have access to adequate sanitation. And every day there is a new crisis. Every day the media chooses to pull something out to put forward in front of you for you to worry about. And listen, I'm not a researcher. I am not a scientist or psychologist. But here's what I think. I think that the human brain and our emotions are not wired to handle all of this information. I mean, think about this. For thousands of years, it really throughout all of human history, the only tragedies that you knew about were the things that happened in your own backyard. And so before TV, before the internet, the only divorces or stories of, of abuse that you knew were the ones that happened with the people you knew. The only tragedies or natural disasters that you learned about right away were the things that happened in your own town or maybe your province. And anything else that happened around the world Maybe you read about it in the newspaper later after some time and it was in bite-sized increments. And so it meant that you could do something about it. If your neighbor had a problem, then you could step in and help. But I think today it's like our brains just explode as we are crushed under this, this avalanche of, of crisis and tragedy and more information than we know what to do with. 50 years ago, in 1964, Bertram Gross said, information overload occurs when the amount of input to a system exceeds its processing capacity. Decision makers have fairly limited cognitive processing capacity. Consequently, when information overload occurs, it is likely that a reduction in decision-making quality takes place. Now, this quote was back in 1964, 50 years ago, researchers were worried that people were getting access to too much information at the same time, and the result is that people were making poor decisions. That was 50 years ago. Imagine what they would think of what we face today. Am I the only one who thinks this explains a lot? That, that maybe this explains a lot of 
of, of how much we, we, we wrestle with stress and anxiety all the time. And so here's what I think happens. So often I think that, that, that some people decide the only way to survive all this overload is to stop caring. Some people think the only way to survive is, is just you know, stop worrying about everybody else. Just be selfish and stop caring. I've got enough problems of my own. I'm not gonna pay attention to anybody else's. But here's the problem with that approach. You know that if you are a Christian here today, as Christians, we do not have that option. That as followers of Jesus, we are compelled to love and care for others. And so here is the tension that we get stuck in. We get stuck in this tension where on the one side, we cannot ignore all the problems in the world, but at the same time, we can't solve all of them either. And so how do we live in this tension? How do we survive? How do we remain emotionally healthy? How do we make a positive difference in this world, but at the same time, not get crushed by this overload? I'm glad you asked. Because I think there's a passage of scripture that gives a huge amount of insight for us today here in Galatians chapter six. And the two verses that we're going to look at today are verse nine and verse 10. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Galatia. These were Christians who were tired of all the problems. They were, they were overwhelmed by the needs around them. And so here in chapter six, Paul gives these Christians a word of advice. And so let's look at each verse, verse nine, and then in a few minutes, we'll look at verse 10. In verse nine, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, now let's, let's talk about this phrase. Let us not become weary. What does that mean? To become weary means when you get tired, when you become exhausted, when you feel like you have done all that you can do and you just can't do anymore. And see, listen, being a Christian does not mean that you are the energizer bunny and you never get tired of helping people. It is natural and understandable that at times we get tired, we become exhausted. There are days, can I be honest, that I get overwhelmed with all the problems. I got enough problems of my own and then I start worrying about everybody else's and I don't know what to do with it all. And Paul says, listen, listen, I wanna tell you something. He says, you need to know this. There is a special reward for those who keep pushing forward. Look at the last part of the verse. He says, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Could we read that together? Let's all read that out loud together. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now look at what he says next. As we continue into verse 10, he says, so therefore as we have opportunity. Now the translators into English did something really interesting here with the word opportunity. 
Now you, want, you, you know, right, that the Bible was not written in English. The Bible was not written in French or Arabic or Swahili. The Bible was written in the Old Testament in mostly in Hebrew and the New Testament mostly in Greek. And the Greek word here for opportunity in the original text is kairos. Kairos is a word that is often translated as time. See, in Greek, there are two different types of words for time, or two different words. One is chronos, and chronos is what we tend to think of. Chronos is an unlimited amount of time. Chronos is where we get the word chronology. And so it is, chronos is talking about linear, sequential time, from one moment to the next moment to the next moment, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and keeps ticking on without end. But kairos is different. Here in verse 10, the word that, that Paul uses, kairos, does not speak of an unlimited amount of time. It speaks of a specific unit of time. Kairos is the moment in time, the right moment in time, when all the right things start to come together. In fact, the root word of kairos is kara, which means head. So, so it's the idea of when, when everything starts to come to a head. And so it's not speaking of all the time. It's not speaking of every moment. It's speaking of the right moment. The moment of God's choosing. And so now you begin to understand. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have time or kairos, as, as we, we have those moments that we see that God has ordained where we need to step in and help and do something, let us do good to all people. Now that all can be kind of scary as well because like there are 7.7 .7 billion people in the world. Jesus says I have to care for them all and help every single person with every single problem they ever have. Is that what it's saying? No, no, no. Yet again, if you look at this Greek word for all, whenever you find it in the New Testament, it is referring, like it would say, and all the people in Israel came to hear Jesus. Did everybody in Israel come to hear Jesus? No. It, it, it's, and so what it means is, though, I think, is it has to do with not excluding anyone. It's not saying, well, you know, I don't help those kinds of people. To do good to all, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so I hope you see how significant this is here in verse 10. That the Bible acknowledges that you do not have unlimited amounts of time to help everyone, everywhere, and at every moment. The, the Bible here acknowledges that, that, that you have limited resources and limited capacity. Isn't that a relief? <laughs> to know that, that, that the Bible says you don't have to fix everything for everybody. Isn't that a relief? But we're not off the hook completely. Because Galatians 6 says, even though at times you become weary, do not give up. It says, even though you may not be able 
to do everything for everybody, even though you may not have the time and resources and ability or even the opportunity to help everyone, you can at least do something for someone. And so here's the big idea for today. This is what we've been working our way down towards. And if you can get a hold of this, so much of the stress and anxiety starts to roll away. When you realize, I can't fix everyone, but I can help someone. Would you say that with me? Everybody say, I can't fix everyone, but I can help someone. Now on that first one, I expected when I said, I can't fix everyone, that there'd be a big amen. I can't fix everyone. You can't. But listen, you can help someone. And once you begin to realize that, all of a sudden, so much of that anxiety starts to roll away. When you realize it is not your job to fix every problem in the world, but it is your job to do something for someone. There's this thing we learn when we're kids. Parents will say this and, and teachers will say this. You would go to your teacher when you were in school and you would ask, teacher, teacher, can I do this? And they say, no, 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 I can't let you do that. Because if I let you do it, then I have to let, oh, you've heard this, right? If I let you do it, then I have to let everyone do it. And so you would go to your coach. Oh, coach, coach, can, can, can I have one of those? And like, oh, no, 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 I, I can't let you have one because then I'd have to let everyone have one. And then we go home and we ask our parents, mom, dad, hey, can, can, can I do this? And they say, no, 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 I can't let you do that because then I would have to let your brothers and sisters do that. And we hear that over and over again when we're children, don't we? I can't do for one because then I would have to do for everyone. But you didn't buy that, did you, as a kid? <laughs> and if you're like me, you started to wonder, where is this written in the rules of the universe? <laughs> like, where is this in the code that says that anytime you do something for one person, you have to do the same for every person? I, I, I think that this social code comes from an idea of trying to be fair, doesn't it? Or we don't want to be overwhelmed by everybody, and so we put limitations. And it gets written into this social code that somehow we need to level the playing field. And I understand that that sounds good, but here's the problem. I wonder if sometimes this becomes our excuse for not helping people. Think about it. You know, I can't do it for everybody, so I won't do it for anybody. If I can't fix all the problems in the world, then I won't do anything. And I wonder if sometimes Satan, who is the enemy, the prowling enemy, the Bible describes him as, who wants to come and steal your joy and keep you ensnared. Satan, who wants to keep you from making a positive difference in the world. And I wonder if sometimes, subtly, he uses this thinking that has been ingrained within us since childhood to prevent us from stepping out in faith to do great things for God.
Ho- hopefully by the end I'll have everybody. <laughs> Years ago, Tracy and I uh, became exposed to the facts of how many children need a home with loving parents. And so we had seen other people doing foster parenting and we looked at our lives and we began to evaluate through the lens of Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as you have opportunity, as you have time and resource and ability, and we realized we can't help all the hurting homeless children in the world, but we can help one at a time. And so we went through the process of becoming fair foster parents and you know, it, it was like a year of training. And, and, and you know what, guess what? Sometimes as we started doing that, social workers would call us up sometimes and say, could you take two or three or four and, and kind of try to make you feel guilty almost? And we would have to say, you know, we have evaluated through the lens of Galatians 6.10. And, and we can't help all the children at the same time, but we can help one. Uh, some years back, uh, we had a secretary working in our office at the church where I worked. Uh, her name is Connie Howard. And uh, Connie needed a kidney transplant. And they told us without someone to donate a kidney to her that she would die in a very short amount of time. And so we invited the whole church. We asked if everyone would consider getting tested. And so, of course, if a pastor is going to ask everybody else to get tested, it kind of seems fair that I should do it as well. And I did. And I found out that I was a match. (laughs) And I had a decision to make. And as I lay in the hospital bed before surgery, And people would ask me, are you afraid? Are you scared? And I said, yes. (laughs) I was afraid because you don't know this about me, but I don't like doctors. Now, I love you doctors, but I don't want to see you in a professional capacity. (laughs) We thank you, all you doctors, for what you do for us, but stay away. And... (laughs) In fact, Tracy knows, you can ask her, that uh, like, I, don't, I don't like the hospital, I don't like the doctor's office. I don't. In fact, whenever I've had surgery over the years, if, it's only been a few times, but you know, the doctors have this thing where they want to show you how much they know, and they're going to tell you everything that they're going to do. Let me explain to you all the details of the surgery, and I say, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, Ignorance is bliss. If you tell me all the details, I might not stick around. Just do it and let's get it over with. And so, uh, yet it was an easy decision to make because how could I have the opportunity to save someone's life and not do it? And I can't save everybody's life. Look, look, (laughs) wait, if, because if you want a kidney, (laughs) don't come asking me because I'm out. And, and don't ask Tracy either, because my wife has done the same thing. She donated a kidney as well. But listen, listen. I can't save everyone's life. But I could save one person's life. Just one. And you need to understand what Satan tries to do. And this message to me has been burning within me for quite a while. 
this passage of scripture. And I couldn't wait until we got into the Love My City series where, if, where I felt like I could share it. Because I know how overwhelming it is. Because in my job, the hardest part is I have to say no more often than I get to say yes. Because you know, God loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life and ministry. Everybody else has dreams and expectations for what you should be doing. And you can't say yes to everything. And I don't know about for you, but for me, sometimes Satan uses that of not being able to meet people's expectations. And I bet he does for you as well, where, where you start to get weighed down and you feel overwhelmed and crushed and you don't know what to do. And Satan wants you to be defeated, to think that you can't do anything. And I think he uses over, overload of information to crush you and steal your joy. Every time you open Facebook, every time you open social media, there is another problem to worry about. Every time you turn on the TV, there is another crisis. Satan wants you panicked and worried and bothered about all the things in the world that you can't do anything about. But I want you to understand something today. Please don't miss this. Listen, Satan discourages you with what you cannot do, but God encourages you with what you can do. Listen, listen, Satan wants to distract you with all the problems you cannot solve, but God wants to focus your attention on what you can solve. G Satan wants to make you feel ashamed for the times you have to say no, but God wants to bless you with opportunities to say yes. See, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And that's what we're about here at Moncton Westland. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is one of the most beautiful, encouraging verses of Scripture. Oh, I love this so much. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Could you read that with me and just let that seep into you? For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Listen, God is not holding you accountable for the things that you cannot do. God is not pressing these unreasonable expectations upon you. That God wants to empower you and bless you and equip you to do some of the things that he has designed you to do. Look at Luke chapter 21. Jesus is sitting with his apostles in the temple courts and they're watching as people are coming and putting their offering in at the temple, at the place of worship. And as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. But then 
he also saw a poor widow. And she put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. See, all these people, they gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Jesus said, look, this woman did not give the biggest, fanciest gift. Her name was not up in lights. Her name was not put on a building somewhere for the big donation she gave. But Jesus said God's heart is pleased because she did what she could out of a loving and generous heart. And if you don't know the kind of God we're talking about, ours is a God who loves a generous heart. And that's what Love My City is about. As we go out and serve in the city, as we volunteer at places like Harvest House, and oh man, I've loved seeing all the pictures this week, and, and our small group was serving at, uh, at one of the local food banks here in the city this week, and it was so wonderful to go in and see so many people from the church who were out every week serving in the community. And one of the things that I absolutely loved is being at the food bank on Friday and seeing that, that so many, if not most, of the volunteers were retired people. who were taking their golden years and investing them in helping others. Oh, so good. And to see the love and the blessing and the smile on their faces as we've been out and served with Boys and Girls Club and Moncton Head Start and, and Teen Challenge. See, it is, it is God's love in us to the world. Have you ever heard this before? <laughs> if you're brand new here today, the reason everybody's chuckling is because we say this every single Sunday at the end of our time together because it's our mission, it's our calling as a church that our first priority is to connect people to the love of God. This is not just about living a, a good life, this is about living a God-centered life. And that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that anyone who believes in him and receives his forgiveness can have new life. It's God's love in us. We need each other in the church. We need each other in the body of Christ. We do small group life together. And then we go out as a church to the world. We often say our dream is being the the largest volunteer mobilization force that this region has ever seen. And oh, it's so much fun. But listen, it's, it's not because we think somehow by volunteering and serving out in the community a couple of hours a week that we're going to fix everybody's problems and solve all the issues in the world. Because God didn't ask us to do that. Only God can do that. I can't fix everyone, but I can help someone. You can't fix everyone, but you can help someone. You can do something. And so many people serve and volunteer hundreds of hours each week 
here within the church, within the ministries of the church. Kids world, oh, they have so much fun. You know, a lot of Sundays we have 250 children in children's ministry. 250 children in children's ministry. Easter Sunday, we had over 400 children here on the property. I mean, it's, it's on Easter Sunday morning. And you can't fix all the problems in the world, but you can invest in one ministry where you give your life to help raise up the next generation. So many serve and volunteer in, in prime student ministries, raising up the next generation of teenagers to go out and make a difference in the world. Some of you have chosen this year to take a step of faith and, and get out there and lead a small group. And it was scary for you, but as you have stepped out in faith, you've seen God use you and developed your leadership gifting like you never even knew was possible. Some of you, this week, you've been serving your neighbors and sharing the love of Christ in very practical ways. See, it's God's love in us to the world. Why? Because love changes everything. See, at its core around here, the world says love is just accept a person as they are with all their faults and all of their issues and all of their habits and all of their... Because nobody will ever get better than what they are right now. That's the message of the world. But God's message is something so much more beautiful. God's message is, we'll accept you just as you are right now with all your faults and all your failures. But listen, God has something better for your life. And God wants to change you and help you to reach your full potential in his kingdom. And so if you're not interested in change, then you're really not interested in God's best for you. It's God's love in us to the world. Why? Because love changes everything. Let's stand together. And so our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that for some who have felt overwhelmed and paralyzed by information overload in our world today. I pray that, Lord, you would bless and encourage them through your word today. Lord, there are others who are perhaps on the other side, though, and we've been living selfishly, only focused on ourselves and not caring about the needs of those around us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your love and your blessing to encourage us, but also to challenge us to get off the bench and get in the game as we serve others with the love of Jesus, as we lift up your name in our community. And, Lord, we know that as we serve people, that supernaturally, Many times they will be able to see the love of Jesus in us. And it's such a wonderful thing when they know that it's not because we're so good, it's because you're so good. 
It's not because we're so gracious, but because you're so gracious. It's not because we are so wise, but because you are so wise. It's not because we are so strong. It's because of your strength at work within us. And so, Lord, as we get out in our community and as we serve, not just in Love My City weeks, but all year round as our small groups get out and serve in our community, as we invite people to church, as we try to make a difference in our city, Lord, that people would know that God loves them because they see the love of Jesus shining brightly through our lives. And it is in Jesus' Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen.